Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 34 of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is The Game Changer Part 2, an interview with Dr. Bill Rawls. My name is Richard Johannesson. And I'm Matt Sabatello. Matt, today we are doing part two of the three-part Bill Rawls marathon that was inspired by our interview with Donna Grant, the woman from Scotland. And during the course of this interview, which again is a part of the last hour of the conversation between you and Dr. Rawls, which I've been calling it the Limey conversation, you and Dr. Rawls had touched upon four fascinating topics that we've made a part of this second podcast, the first of which related to alternative therapies. That's right, Rich. Dr. Rolls and I discussed various alternative immunotherapies, such as IV vitamins, and we also discussed PEMF technology and even the AMP coil. What I found the most interesting of the four topics we talked about was the variety of treatment protocols that are used by Lyme literate doctors. That's right. So different Lyme doctors use different Lyme treatments. And some doctors use just antibiotics, others use antibiotics and herbs, and others use just herbs. And the final part of this interview for part two of the Game Changer was the work that's being done at Johns Hopkins University by Dr. Yang Zhang. What two topics did you discuss regarding Dr. Zhang's work? So Dr. Zhang performed one study where he discussed the use of essential oils to potentially treat Lyme disease. So Dr. Rolls gave us his opinion on that study, and he also went into the study performed by Dr. Ying Zhang, where he performed combination therapy on the mouse model and its potential use in humans. So now let's cut to the interview with Dr. Bill Rolls. Dr. Rolls, do you have any thoughts on the use of alternative immunotherapies, such as IV vitamins? Um, yeah, I don't really have any problem with those things, and it, I didn't use them myself. It just it wasn't something that I had the luxury of. And at the time that I was doing this in my practice, our medical board had this uh, crazy witch hunt that they were going after integrative physicians. So I had to be really careful in what I was doing. And one of the things that they had uh, defined as something that integrative physicians do was IV vitamin therapy. <laughs> so I didn't offer it in my practice and I didn't do it myself because I wanted to keep my license. It, isn't that crazy um, that, uh, that we have crazy. stuff like that? But but it was real. And uh, so I didn't use it myself. But it's one of those things, when, when I look at any kind of therapy, I, I you know, uh, what you see most doctors say is, well, show me the studies that, that, that define that it works. Um, I want to know other information. First of all, yes, it is important to see whether something works or not, but I don't think that's all, that doesn't have to be limited to the kind of double-blind studies that we use with drugs. You know, when you look at herbs, you look at the history of herbs, you look at the, the, all of the, the scientific studies about the chemicals of herbs and how they work in different models and everything else in animal models, we probably know more about herbs than we do any, herbal, any, any drug on the planet. But um, but beyond that, so yes, it's nice to know that something has potential to work, but I also want to know how much does it cost and what is the potential toxicity that comes along with it. Um, so I think those three variables, when you're defining therapies, that's very, very important to look at. Have you investigated any other alternative therapies? So look at something like PEMS, pulsed electromagnetic frequency therapy, and, and there, there's something out there called the AMP coil. So they've got some evidence out there 
there's a little bit of evidence that it works. The potential for harm is low. But wait a minute. That thing costs ten thousand dollars. It's crazy. Show me a lot. You've got to really convince me that that thing works before I'm going to spend that much money because I can buy tons of herbs for that. So it's kind of the same thing with IV therapy. When you look at IV therapy, so the potential for harm, I think, is really low. Is it zero? Is it as low as herbs? No. Yeah, you, you dump a bunch of vitamins in people and you can disrupt normal metabolic systems. So I don't think it's something you want to do chronically over and over and over again. But I think compared to drugs and a lot of other things, IV vitamin therapy, the potential for harm is really, really low. Um, there are not a lot of studies out there that, so that show that there, there's a lot of good for it. Um, but, um, but so potential for harm is low, maybe a little bit of evidence and, and enough people saying, yeah, it made me feel good to say, eh, maybe it's worth considering. Um, and then there's a price, you know, how much are you paying for that thing? I've seen a lot of people, really support integrative practices um, doing IV, uh, IV vitamin therapy. I mean, it's a, it's a big money getter. Anytime you stick an IV in somebody, you're, you're going to be able to charge them a bunch of money that insurance isn't going to pay for. So it's going to be cash right up front, which is yeah. helps really pay that rent every month. Um, so I, I think there's that variable there. I hate to say that, but it's there. Um, so, you know, when, when I come back to it, I have to say that, you know, yes, yes, you know, when you're in the acute phase of getting well, when your recovery is really, um, when you're struggling, yeah, trying that a few times might be worthwhile, especially if you get a lift from it. Um, don't let it break your pocketbook, but also, you know, embrace the herbs. One of our past podcast guests voiced frustration with doctors permitting patients who have overindulged in the use of alcohol to access the same alternative immunotherapies that are used for chronic Lyme disease. Why would a doctor risk undermining an alternative therapy by offering it to casual alcohol abusers? It's kind of crazy, but, but a lot of doctors make a lot of money doing it. So, right. you, know, it, 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 you know, when you look at how do you pay the really big bills of running a medical practice, I mean, I wish I could have done that. It's a big money maker because people want it. And, you know, you don't really have to spend time with a patient. I spent a lot of time counseling people. I really had a hard time just breaking even with my practice because I didn't do very many procedures. The more I, well, the more I made people well, the fewer procedures that I did, the more my bottom line shrank. Um, and, and, you know, so it was, it was really frustrating. So... You know, a lot of integrative physicians and others depend on those kinds of IV therapies just to make a reasonable living. Um, so, you know, and, and I can't say that much bad about it because it's, I know how hard it was for me to make a living not doing those kinds of things. So I think the potential for harm is low. I think it's a reasonable service. Um, so, but, but don't depend on that solely for your recovery. In the community of Lyme litter doctors, there appears to be a lack of consensus on how to treat chronic Lyme disease. Some doctors treat with antibiotics, some doctors treat with antibiotics and herbs, and other doctors treat using only herbs. Can you explain why there's so much diversity in the treatment protocols used by Lyme litter doctors? It's purely just a function of our broken system, really, because 
you've got the infectious disease side, the Society of America, which is all the infectious disease doctors and all the ivory towers that are saying uh, Lyme disease, chronic Lyme disease doesn't exist. Um, right. If you got antibiotics, then you were treated. And if you have symptoms, mm-hmm. it's not Lyme disease. Um, <laughs> you know, and all this. And, and, and so their, their whole impression, first of all, they've got their head in the sand because they're not looking at really solid research that disproves everything they're saying. Um, at, but, but second, because they're the establishment, they set the rules of how we code things and how we look at things. Um, so when if you've got chronic Lyme or fibromyalgia or chronic fatigue and all of these things, I just really throw into the same basket now. I think they're just different varieties of chronic immune dysfunction with a different spread of intercellular stealth microbes. Um, but if you've got one of these things, the medical system has virtually nothing to offer you. Um, at, you know, and, and that's what I found. Um, antibiotics aren't going to work, and most of them aren't going to give you antibiotics for chronic Lyme anyway, um, which I don't think necessarily is wrong. It's just they don't have anything else to offer you. And this is true of most of chronic illness. It gets back to that question of asking how instead of why. They don't ask why people are chronically ill they ask, they, they determine how they're ill and they treat them artificially with drugs or whatever. Um, and it just doesn't work. So you have no standard to follow. Um, so everything else is constru- considered fringe and or unorthodox. Um, and then you've got another group of sometimes a bit arrogant physicians at ILADS uh, and they're getting better. I'll give them credit. They're getting better. Who who have been really for years pushing these these really ridiculous regimens of uh, of uh, uh, antibiotics that I think really harm people in a lot of different ways. It, you know, uh, my one of my pet peeves and just something that makes me angry is all the people I've met over the years that are in financial ruin because they went to see some line doctor who drained them of everything they owned to pump IV antibiotics in them that ultimately made them sicker. I mean, it just drives me nuts when I hear about these cases. Um, but things are changing. You know, there are people like me out there that are going, ah, that's not the answer. The mainstream isn't the answer. Let's look at herbs. So because there's just so much misunderstanding of what Lyme disease really is, it's all over the map of what you're going to find out there. And I'm not sure that's going to change anytime soon. So it really puts a lot of weight on on people like you to educate the public. Um, so again, I really appreciate this opportunity um, yeah. because I try to give a really, I, I try to give a well-educated but an unbiased response. Are you familiar with the essential oil study and findings from the John Hopkins University study conducted by Dr. Ying Zhang? Yes, I have read his work, and yes, I do have comments. Um, I, you have to understand that, you know, when you're talking about these researchers in the ivory tower, they're doing in vitro studies predominantly, right? I mean, it was it was like the thing that came out some years ago that stevia treats Lyme disease, right? 
Um, so what they do is they take Borrelia spirochetes and they dump a chemical in there and see if it kills it in a test tube. Um, and they dump stevia in a test tube and wow, it killed Borrelia. Wow, so stevia must be a treatment for Lyme disease. But wait a minute, the reason that we take stevia and that the stevia sides don't uh, act as a sweetener but don't add calories is because we don't absorb those chemicals. So how can something that isn't absorbed possibly be a systemic treatment for Lyme disease? And the same, you run into the same thing with the essential oils he's talking about. You can use them, but they're potentially very toxic. So all of his work, he's done some really good work and found that some of the really strong essential oils like clove and cinnamon and others, and his work isn't unique. This has been done pretty pretty frequently with others too, that these essential oils are lethal to Borrelia. They just knock it out immediately, kill the cyst forms, everything else. But guess what? They're also lethal. <laughs> They're horrible on your digestive tract. They will burn a hole in you. Um, <laughs> so you've got to get so to get these in your system. It's really difficult. Um, you know, clove and cinnamon and 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 thyme, thyme, thyme and thymol. Um, these oils will really burn your skin if you put them on your skin. You've got to be very careful, and they'll definitely do that to to your digestive tract. Um, that being said, there may be space for them, and I, you know. I tried everything, and I did some of the essential oil protocols. If you look out there, there are essential oil protocols. So you get um, the uh, gel caps, the empty uh, capsules that, you, that supplements come in. You can get empty capsules, and you take capsules and put like one drop at a time. Um, so you put like a drop of clove, a drop of cinnamon, and these are really potent oils. Um, and and you get so you get them in this capsule, and uh, that's the way you get them inside your system. Um, and there are protocols for doing that, and you have to be really careful that you like do it for five days or ten days, different ones, different protocols, and then you stop and let your gut recover. And that's what I found that man, they just really tear your intestines apart. You have to be careful with them. So you compare that to the herbs. The herbs are really easy. I mean, the the potential for harm. I mean, you eat, you do too much of the powdered capsules, the powdered uh, extracts, and it'll irritate your stomach for after a while. So, so I rotate tinctures and powders and and do different kinds of things. Um, but essential oils you really have to respect. Um, that being said, I think there's a place for them and. You do pick up some of these things externally. Uh, uh, you, know, you know, these things, the essential oils absorb through your skin really well. So there's some oils. All of the essential oils have antimicrobial properties. Um, but the more potent ones like clove and cinnamon and things like that also burn the skin. Things that are less potent but are less apt to burn the skin, like tea tree oil, um, frankincense, lavender, those kinds of things don't burn the skin, but they don't, they're not quite as important or as potent. So I found that you can do rubs with those things, 
um, and even throw a little CBD oil in there that you take, um, you know, Franken, I take frankincense, helichrysin, which is a really nice healing oil, tea tree oil, lavender, and then just put a little bit of clove and cinnamon so it doesn't burn the skin. And it's really good, like if your knees are sore or joints are sore, you do absorb some of that and you are going to get some antimicrobial properties. But as far as a long-term treatment of, for Lyme disease, I think you have to be really careful with essential oils. What are your thoughts on Dr. Ying Zhang's combination antibiotic studies using the mouse model? I think all information is good information, and I think that's good to have. But first of all, mice aren't humans. They were using really high doses of antibiotics, first of all, and they didn't really measure the harm that the antibiotics were causing in the mouse. Um, as far as completely eradicating the microbes or eradicating all the cystic forms, I seriously doubt that. You know, I, 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 I just don't think that's happening. But you gotta remember that mice have uh, a higher propensity to clear Borrelia in the first place than we do. You know, mice have probably been around a lot longer than humans are and have been bitten by Borrelia a lot longer. So their immune system is more keyed into fighting that infection off from the very beginning. So you're talking about a different host, right? I think that's first off really important to recognize that, you know, when you've got a different host, you may have a different immune response. So, yes, I think the study has value. And I think if you had somebody who had tried everything, absolutely everything, and they weren't getting better, they just weren't making inroads, then it may be worth trying that combination of antibiotics to see if if that might give them a boost. But again, one more time, I think this is really important. Antibiotics don't ever win the war, all right? If, if you don't have a, a good immune system, you are not going to get completely get well. So you have to have a normal immune system functions to rebound. And it's, we're not just talking about Borrelia here. Um, you know, we're talking about a pot boiling over of all kinds of microbes. New York City has lots of different kinds of criminals. We have lots of different pathogens. So this idea of this, I'm going to target this one microbe, identify, target, and destroy, um, is, is really limited thinking, I think. It's very short-sighted, in my opinion. So, yeah, I think it has value. I think we've got, to get, we, we've got to keep all the tools on the table but put them in perspective as far as their true and real value. And everybody is looking for the, the quick cure, and I just don't think you're going to find it. Thank you for listening to our three-part marathon with Dr. Bill Rawls, MD. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you would like to learn more about Dr. Rawls, please visit his website at rawlsmd.com. Second, if you enjoyed this Dr. Rawls Marathon, please share it with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of the post. Third, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play Music, or Spotify to get the automatic episode updates for our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, please take a minute to leave us an honest review and rating on iTunes or our website. We make it a point to read every single one of the reviews we get. Thank you for listening.